Parsons, it's great to be here today. I'm one of the senior leaders here, and today we are going to talk about making it real, making it real, true transformation. How is it that we go from simply knowing the truth to the truth becoming real in us? How do we go from being just a bunch of religious people who are striving hard to do good works to being legitimate, authentic sons and daughters of the Most High God who are bearing good fruit in every season? I want to start by saying this simply, God knows you. God not only knows who you are right here, right at this moment, but he knows who you can be through the finished work of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Another thing, God is never surprised by what he sees. You never shock him. And God will never freeze you in the moment. You know how some people like, oh, you screwed up. This is who you are. This is who you will always be. God doesn't do that. Because although God knows that we are flesh and that in our flesh dwells no good thing, he also knows that there is a solution, and that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So how can we see the power of Christ work to transform, transform our hearts and make the truth a reality in our life? One thing we have to do is remove the notion that when it comes to truth, God grades on a curve. That God will ever water down the truth to accommodate our circumstances or to accommodate our weaknesses. What do I mean that God doesn't grade on a curve? We know how a curve works, right? Our professor or our teacher. The truth is, is what they're saying is, we have this expectation. We know what an A is, a 93, a 90 or whatever. But I have no intention or expectation that any of you will hit it. So because of that, I'm going to make a curve, and we're going to say, hey, 70% ends up being good. Well, when it comes to God, he doesn't say, okay, here's the truth that I want you to live, that I want to prove in your life, that I want to be reality, but wink, wink, I never really intended that you would ever get there. So let's just say that how about we have 70% authenticity and we fill the rest with 30% religious garbage, flesh, and whatever else we can do, and we just call it good. No, that's not how it works. See, when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. He wasn't just giving us an aspiration. He was telling us about a truth that could be a reality in our lives. The other thing that we need to know is that God will never stop working to protect, perfect the truth in our lives until it's complete. 
Philippians 1, 6 says, and I am certain, I am certain that God's not going to give up on you, that God's not going to quit, that God who has begun a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished. See, if we ever really want to walk in the reality of the truth, we need to know, first of all, A, that it's possible, and secondly, that God loves you too much to ever see us come short of it. So what is, he, what is Jesus talking about when he's talking about perfection? He's really speaking in terms of integrity and authenticity. See, perfection is when what we say we believe lines up with what is really in our heart and what is proven by our lives. See, this is really what the, the whole Sermon on the Mount is about. God's purpose for us goes beyond just agreeing with what he said to our hearts becoming one with why it is that he said it. See, Jesus said, it's great that you're not killing anybody. But that's not really what I have for you. What I really desire for you is to live in a freedom where there's no bitterness in your heart, where there's no anger in your heart, there's no unforgiveness in your heart, there's no guile in your heart. So that murder isn't even a question. Jesus said, it's great that you're not sleeping with your neighbor's wife. But that's not really what I have for you. What I have for you, what I desire for you, is what it's like to live with a pure heart. To live in the freedom from lust and from sensual pleasure that want to put you into bondage and destroy your life. I want to live you in, you to live and to know what it's like to live in purity and holiness and enjoy the freedom that I have for you. He doesn't want us just not to lie. He wants us to be believers that the truth will set us free. He says in Psalm 61, Behold, you desire truth in my inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Now don't get me wrong, it's not that actions aren't important. Jesus is the same one that says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But he said, Make the inside of the cup clean, and the outside of the cup's going to be clean too. If we get it right on the inside, the outside will take care of itself. Every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. And get this, this is, this is, this is true. A good tree can't bear bad fruit. You know, there's a lot of reasons why or a good reason why a lot of the world looks at the church and calls us hypocrites. And it's the same reason that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and said, you snakes, you hypocrites, and it's this, their fruit was rotten. That regardless of how right on their truth was, nobody could get past the stench of their life to ever get to hear what they were saying. Their fruit was evidence that the God that they were talking about, they had no clue about. 
See, it's true that Jesus went after the religious leaders, but he did it for one reason and one reason only, and that is this. He loved them. He loved them. He wanted them to live in freedom, and he knew the only way that you could be free was to have the truth become a reality in in their lives, and it's the same thing that he has for us today. So what I want to do is I want to take a few moments and look at what are some of the things that held the Pharisees the religious leaders of Jesus' time, back from the freedom and the truth that God had for them and see if some of those same things may not work in us to set us free here this morning. Amen? The first problem that they had was they did everything for show and for earthly reward. Matthew chapter 25, Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and said to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they ask you, they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not help them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. Jesus also says, when you do a charitable deed, don't blow a trumpet in front of you so that everybody will see you and say hurrah. For if you do, you will have your reward. See, there's the earthly reward. There's the earthly accolades. There's the reward that you get from that. And then there's the heavenly reward. There's a reward that God gives you in his pleasure. Well, the truth that God is trying to get at in us is that we will live in the freedom of what it's like to live for an audience of one, where the reward that we are after is his pleasure. You know, there's a lot of ways that God could probably get at this truth, that he could work this truth in us, but I think he has a favorite. And that's, he will actually give us the opportunity to really serve. What I mean by that is, he will give us the chance, he will give us the opportunity to serve, to do what is right when we know that nobody's looking. When not only nobody is looking, but that there is positively, absolutely no chance that you're going to be appreciated or rewarded for it, you do it simply because his eyes are upon it. Maybe like, and Dave, you can pay me later, like maybe the cleaning teams. (laughs) Why would I do that? Nobody's going to see it or appreciate it. I'm certainly not going to get rewarded. But you just do it out of a love and of a heart for God. But to take that even further, and this is, as we get, this is like, that's 101, right? Uh, Doing things when you know people aren't going to see it. The advanced course is this. When God calls us to serve, where there is absolutely no possibility that the reward that the earthly side of things is ever going to be sufficient to measure up with the sacrifice that you're going to pay. I think of a, a pastor. You know, Jeff's been at this a long time. If, if, 
it was for the pay and it was for the accolades, I think he would have quit a long time ago. I think of the Wallers. I think of other adoptive families. I think of the Lopez's. I think of uh, there's so many that are represented in this body who have demonstrated through their lives that, look, it's not about what I'm going to get out of it other than the fact that I know that the eyes of God are upon me and that his reward is there and that one day, whether the world sees it or not, it's going to be worth it. But listen, this is what you got to understand about serving, about doing things for God. On earth, it is never going to be worth it. But here is the truth that we can live in. That if we really get it in our hearts, if it's really true within us to step out and to say, God, I want to do it for your pleasure. I want to do it for you. We are going to find out that God's eyes never miss a thing. That there is never one thing, no matter how small, no how mundane, no matter how insignificant it may appear, that God is going to miss, that he's not going to appreciate or reward. And we will find out that his pleasure, that his reward far exceeds anything that this world could ever give to us. We will be fully satisfied. But you know what? There's only one way to experience that, and that's to actually do it. See, what we're going to experience about the truth is you only experience the benefit if we actually step forward and live in it. It's not something that we can just believe or, or get to a place and say, yeah, I believe that wholeheartedly, but never have to work it out in our lives. But if we do, we will realize more than anything else, God is always enough. Matthew 6, 4 says, give your gifts in private. And your Father who sees everything will reward you. Another thing that the Pharisees got wrong was this. They equated knowing the truth with actually living in the truth. Listen, if I can quote Genesis to Revelations backward and forward, it doesn't prove one iota of it is actually a reality in my life. A matter of fact, whereas knowing the truth, it can help in striving to do good works and trying to measure up, but it is insufficient in actually bearing good fruit. See, the Pharisees, they knew the word and they did more than most, but Jesus said, you're a bunch of whitewashed tombs looking good on the inside, but full of dead bones and uncleanliness. The problem was they did not have a clue about the size of the chasm between what is good works and what is good fruit. But Jesus said he's after fruit. He says, John 15, 8, when you produce much fruit, you are my disciples. This brings glory to my Father. Now, it can, honestly, it can be difficult sometimes to discern the difference between good fruit and good works. The reason being is we can get awful good at doing good works. So good that it's almost hard to tell the difference. We can get so good at it that we can almost fool everybody except ourselves and God. 
And a step further, because Jeremiah chapter 17, 9 is true, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Sometimes, unless we go through the fire, we can even fool ourselves. But fortunately, and it's fortunately, and this is what I want us to see. My wife, you know, she really makes sure that I get it right. It's never about exposing. Truth is never about exposing. Truth is about breaking chains. But if, if you don't see the chains, you're never going to get free, right? And so Jesus has a way, and his, his purpose is to constantly provide opportunity to transform our hearts. Not to condemn us, but to transform our hearts. I want to give an example of what this might look like. Some of you may know Susan and I's our adoption story, and if you don't, I'll just give a real quick synopsis of it. But about 12 years ago, we uh, adopted Michael, Cassie, and Rachel when they were 3, 5, and 12, and when their mom died from cancer. And at the time, a lot of people would come up to us and say things like, wow, you guys are wonderful. <laughs> you... It's amazing the love that you have in your hearts. And while it truly is, was an act of an obedience, a, a yes to God, Susan and I were very aware that we really weren't that great. And not only were we really not that great, our love was far from perfect. But what I didn't realize was just how far from perfect my love really was. See, whereas what I did certainly could be considered an act of love, when it came to the kind of love that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about, the kind of love that I really needed to have to answer the call, I was an empty suit. See, I saw right off the bat that I had never really heard Paul before, but I was hearing him right now when he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And here's the real tough one. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. See, what I saw and what I realized was that, you know what, you can give everything. You can put your family at risk. You can count it all lost, and the love of God still not be a reality in your heart. And it became evident that to love the way that we needed to love, there was a, a much greater need than just a human compassion. There was a need for a love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, a love that never fails.
And the truth was that it wasn't there. But here is the beauty of truth. Truth never comes to dig you a hole. It never comes to kick dirt on you when you realize that what you are is not up to what you need to be. It doesn't come to condemn. It doesn't mean to cast down. As I said before, it comes to set you free. And as I was in that condition saying, God, uh-oh, I do not have what I need, he looked at me and he said the same thing that he said to Paul and to what he will say to every one of us who are in that situation. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There is one thing that we have to have in the depth of our being, the truth in the depth of our being at our core, and that is this. That when we come into the situation and then we realize that what we have we don't need, that the tank is empty, that what God has as truth for me is not only so far behind my comprehension, there is absolutely no way that I can attain to it, that that is not the end, that is the beginning. That is not game over, that is game on. Because now the door of opportunity has opened for you to move from a religious wannabe to a child of God that is actually walking in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Let me say this about love, too, because it's something that if we are going to walk in the truth of it, we have to come to understand. And that is, you know, I used to think that love never fails meant that love always wins. That if I love hard enough, long enough, then love is going to win. It's going to get the desire that I'm looking for, that certainly God is going to come through and change everything and everything's going to be perfect, but it doesn't work that way. God himself, no one could love more pure than God loves, and yet he is rejected, 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 sometimes to the very end. But that love never fails. Love never ends. Love never changes course. Love, love never goes from sweet to bitter. Love never stops believing, hoping. Love fights till the end regardless if it wins or loses. The last problem that the Pharisees had that we'll look at is this. They loved the word of God. They boasted about the truth. But only until the time that it hit home or that it was going to cost them something, and oddly enough, especially if that something was money. There are many examples. I didn't even hear an amen on that. There are many examples. <laughs> I'm not even going to go to money, so feel free. We got that one covered already. We're not talking about money. But 
This is what Jesus said to the Pharisees. And why do you, by your traditions, violate direct commandments of God? For instance, God says, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectful of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for the people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you. I love that. For I have vowed to give God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say you don't need to honor their parents, and so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Here is a case where you have one of the most clear things in all of scriptures, honor your parents. And one of the things that makes most clear is the importance for you to take care of your parents, especially in old age. And, but that was inconvenient and was going to cost them money. And so they did what religious people do. They don't deny the word of God. You just figure out a reason why it doesn't apply to you. I got to say that again because there's a... <laughs> we don't deny it. We just find out a way and a reason why it doesn't apply to us. But before we speak too harshly to the Pharisees, I want to look at something that Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 through 48. But I say to you, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. This is a beautiful scripture. We love it. It's very poetic. But have we ever had to live it? Have we ever been cursed? Have we ever been taken advantage of? Have we ever been persecuted? Have we ever been beaten, forsaken, kicked, and despised? And if so, at what level, what level of cost, what amount of money does blessing stop and cursing begin? What level of persecution, what level of abandonment, what level of being forsaken and abused does forgiveness turn to vengeance? Is it when all of our friends forsake us? Is it when our flesh is ripped off our back like an animal? Is it when we are hung on a cross to die? When is it? That blessing turns to cursing. Here's what I found. It's easy to know the truth in theory, to love it, but then run from it when we actually have the opportunity to prove it in our lives. See, I asked at the beginning, I said, how can we live 
in the truth. How can the truth become the reality in our lives? And this is really a two-part answer because it's yes by the power of God, by the power of the risen Christ. But that power can never be perfected in our lives unless we come face-to-face with the opportunities that are going to prove it. See, even if Jesus had said in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, even though Jesus was the Son of God, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Let me explain. See, it could have been, uh, well, Jesus could have been tempted in every way that we were, But we knew he was perfect, so we bypassed that. No. He was tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. He proved who he was. He proved the reality of the truth in what can be walked in. And see, that's where where we need to be. That's where we need to live from. Because the only way to make the reality of blessing those who curse you, praying for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, a reality and have the truth come to life is to actually walk through it and get to the other side. See, the truth is something that needs to be proven in our lives. And I want to give a a, a brief story of of how this has happened recently in, in my life. I had a situation where I had not only committed a boatload of money, but also had invested a lot of mental and emotional uh, capital in a situation. And a long story made short, it, it really boiled down to a decision in how a certain person was going to act, how they were going to live out. Now, this person was a Christian, undoubtedly, loved God. And this person had given me promises and commitments. And as time went on, I began to see quite obviously that what he was committing to and what he was saying didn't match up with the reality of how he was acting. And so I got good doctrine. I knew my job was bless and pray, right? So that's what I did. So I blessed and I prayed. But in my heart, I felt there was no way that God was going to allow me to get messed over like this. That if I just do what I'm supposed to do, if I bless and I pray that somehow God's going to ride in on a white horse and he's going to fix this situation, and it was like that up until the time when I sat there and I saw it to, and I and I saw it just unfolding before me. Oh my gosh, you are going to get messed over, and you are going to get messed over hard. You might lose everything. And it was at that point that my doctrine and what was in my heart weren't on the same page, because in my heart at that point it was like I want to hurt somebody. And that somebody has a name, and I want my piece of flesh. I want them to get what they deserve. And as I, as, as I was feeling this, I looked at myself, and I said, Rick, you hypocrite. 
You were willing to bless. You were willing to pray up until it was going to cost you something. Up until it got real. But once again, we don't find ourselves there to sit down and wallow in our condemnation. I knew that there was a truth, that I had a choice. I could go ahead and I could be bitter. Or I could believe that, you know what? The truth of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can become a reality in my life. And so what I did is what I'm going to do again right now. This man's going to get a double blessing today. I said, God, bless this man. God, bless his family. God, I pray that you will bless his finances. I pray right now, God, that you will bless every financial transaction that he has. I pray, God, that you will bring peace to his home, that you will bring joy to his family. God, that his work will prosper, that he will find joy in what you've called him to do. And I don't know at what point it happened, and I don't know how God does what he does, but I know that it went from a religious exercise to the truth and the power of God becoming reality in my life. And I began to feel that I was a fountain of blessing in reality. And let me say this. I don't say that with pride or self-confidence because it, transformation is really like an out-of-body experience. Because you know it's not you. You know who you were, but now you're looking and saying, go God. Go God. There is nothing in this book, there is nothing in the truth of God that the power of the Spirit cannot make a reality in our hearts, that cannot make it real. But know this. He makes it real through experience. So how I want to close today is this. I wanted to simply ask the question, who's wanting to make it real today? Who's willing to say, God, I want the truth. I'm tired of any kind of just religious exercise. I'm tired of walking in condemnation. I'm tired of striving I want to live in the freedom that I know Jesus purchased for me and by the power of your spirit that you've made available.